Good day, and as always, welcome to the FIFA World Cup show for today, Wednesday. For today, Tuesday, the 14th of June, 2022. I'm already in Wednesday because of the purposes of my audience in Asia. But wherever you are tuning in and joining us for this episode, across the multiple cities of the world, welcome to the show welcome to the show for today today is a very special edition and we have with us today a special guest and uh, welcome to your most exciting informative and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly philip alimo and i've got love for sports and undoubtedly the greatest competition on earth which is the FIFA World Cup. And on today's episode, we will be speaking to a very top senior journalist who is currently the deputy editor for the Daily Graphic in Ghana. The Daily Graphic is the oldest newspaper and the most circulated in Ghana. It was founded in the 1950s and... uh, also, she doubles as the treasurer for the Sports Writers Association for Ghana and the vice chairperson for women's football. And most importantly, she has been a mentor to many, many, many young Ghanaian journalists and African journalists. And I'm no exception. Growing up, I used to read her articles in the graphic sports newspaper, another widely circulated newspaper sports newspaper in ghana and today we are privileged to have her with us on the show it's no other person than madame rosalind amu madame rosalind welcome to today's episode of the fifa world cup show kindly unmute your mic hello madame rosalind kindly unmute your mic Yes, good evening and welcome to the show. Good evening and thanks for having me. It you, is a... you just observe that you may have some small background noises because I'm still in the newsroom. We are wrapping up for the day's work, so I hope you don't it doesn't interrupt too much. No, please, no, please, no, please. Fortun- fortunately, uh, for the purposes of my audience, the calling up is your most foremost social podcasting app that solves all your uh, needs. And most importantly, once we are done with the production, it will black out all the background noise. And uh, kindly walk us through uh, what it is like, first of all, uh, in the life of a deputy news editor for a very top newspaper in Ghana and on the African continent. Okay, thank you very much, and it's an, an honor to be on this platform to share experiences and to share our thoughts on the sport that unites and brings us all together, that generates our passions. Um, in, in a typical day, the, the, the news editor, the deputy news editor is more or less the manager of the newsroom. And so on a typical day, 
you are the one who ensures that all your reporters are in queue and on standby for all scheduled assignments as you would assign them. So you have your team members going around. You need to be on top of the topical issues so that you can assign people to go and follow up and cover those stories. And when the stories are brought in, the news gathered are brought in, it is you who prepare the bulletin for editorial conference so that the team of editors will select the stories that are to be published for the next day. And so once the stories are published, then it is also your responsibility as um, a member of the news desk to ensure that the stories selected are ready for publication. And so you make sure that you work on them. You do the copy editing, rewriting and all that, and then you give it to the subjects and then the subjects is gone. So until the ninth deck tells you that we are done for the day, so you can go home. It means that you have to stay on. And as you are on, you are still on duty. So the news editor or deputy news editor is on call 24-7 because for any breaking news, you would have to be the one to assign a team member to go and get you that story. So in brief, that is what the deputy news editor or the news desk does in the newsroom. Definitely. And uh, I've been privileged to read many of your articles um, growing up. And uh, for many people, they'll be wondering how uh, Ghana football is now compared to the international scene in both gender regarding the league and the national team. And for someone having covered the national team and heavily involved in football in Ghana, uh, if you can give us a comparative analysis of the international scene and the level Ghana is now, that would give us a better appreciation. Well, I think that, I mean, Ghana doesn't lack in talent and skillful players. I think that if you want to talk about some of the world's most talented countries when it comes to football, if you take out probably Brazil and the others, Ghana will also rank among some of the best countries that has sheer talent and skillful players. Unfortunately, comparatively, our development um, cannot be compared because we simply do not have the facilities. I mean, if, for instance, you want to compare us to the European leagues, which is quite popular in Ghana or our part of the world, you realize that we, do, we come nowhere near them. With regards to structure and infrastructure development, administrative structures, um, we are still work in progress in both the male and female competitions. And then when it comes to achievements, I mean, the tangibles, you would say that in the past we were strong because in those times we were able to go to Africa and win. But currently it is a struggle. And so um, you can say that on that score, we, we, we are miles apart now. Instead of having made meaningful progress, um, we still are in our three stages where we haven't made any meaningful stride. We can't compete 
to the very end when it comes to Africa. I mean, we all remember or saw what happened to Hasafuk and Kumasiya Sante Kotoko when they went to Africa recently and all the other teams that have gone to Africa. The only brand that probably has kept the fire or the some respect, I mean, in the sight of the international world are the Black Stars. And you would also agree that 99.9% .9 of the Black Stars are not players who play in the local league. All of them are playing in other foreign leagues and they are only assembled by a coach, I mean, the, the technical team to prepare for international assignments. So on that score, we will say that, I mean, we still have a lot of catching up to do. If you look at the way they, I mean, I don't want to mention any particular, I mean, league, but almost all the five top leagues in Europe, if you see how they are well organized, the structures, everything is on point. I mean, from start to finish, they know the only time that you see that they probably would be a, a holder is when there is a, form, a force majeure that is not the doing of either the organizers or the club, then that's one. And so, for instance, at a point, you remember that somewhere along the line, when COVID was still very active, some matches had to be postponed because at a point, a number of players of a particular club had attracted COVID. And so they had no choice than to suspend it. Those are the issues. But otherwise, I think that from the moment the, the season ends, they start preparing for the new season. And from the day that new season starts to the very end, they know everything, who should be playing where, what should be happening, the times the league would have to take a break and all that. Everything has been done so well that you would marvel. You think that it is, I mean, but it's something that they've been doing so frequently and so they've gotten used to it. I think that this year, the league also was able to, the Ghana Premier League tried to do something like that. And so for the first time, we have been able to finish the league, I mean, probably before the end of June, July, so that hopefully by August and latest by September, we will be able to start the new season. And this will bring us in sync to what pertains in Europe so that the disruptions to international assignments and all that, I mean, does not have a toll on the Premier League. With regards to the women's football, I think that um, we, we are still work in progress. We are still work in progress. We haven't gotten anywhere at all. We are still work in progress. Speaking of um, synchronization with the European League and uh, the Ghana League, and then talking about the performance of the national teams and the Black Stars being the brightest spots or the cash cow for the country, would you still say, uh, given the kind of infrastructure and structure we possess currently, is Ghana still a heavyweight in African football? With regards to performance, we are still considered. I mean, I mean, because of our pedigree and our previous history and the performances of some of our players in Europe or at the international scene, we are still considered the heavyweights, among the heavyweights. But I think that if you compare what the heavyweights are doing, the, the giants of football across the globe are doing, and you will see what we have. We, we cannot because we are still struggling to get even community pitches 
I mean, for our clubs, our national stadium that we pride ourselves in, the National Wembley, which is our grass sports stadium, um, still has issues. When the, the season is dry, it's an embarrassment to look at the pitch. We still have huge issues, and that is how come every time the CAF assessment teams comes, we seem don't, not to have a, an easily available facility for them and so it is always between Anakra or Cape Coast and all that. And so I wouldn't say that we 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 match up to those them I mean those facilities because even for the clubs in Europe they have Madam Rosalyn, are you with us? Please can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. We lost you briefly. Okay. Technology unfortunately. So yeah. I'm saying that um with regards to the facilities, we, we can't say that we are at par with, with I mean, the, the rest of the world. I don't think we are there yet. Um, uh, with regards to technology and infrastructure, uh, we are still not there yet. But looking at women's football, I want to zero our conversation down to women's football and uh, Ghana's participation in the various uh, women's tournaments and the World Cup. And uh, if you could walk our audience through Ghana's party, I know the women, the senior women's team, that is the Black Queens, they were the first to qualify uh, for the senior uh, World Cup and then followed by the junior teams. And then later in 2006, 16 years ago, was when the senior men's team, the Black Stars, qualified for the first Mundial. So if you could walk us through the qualification and the journey for women's football in Ghana to, for, for, the, for the purposes of our audience who don't know much about women's football in Ghana, we would appreciate that. Okay, so women's football started in the 1980s. I mean, that was when a semblance of association football started. And then in... 1991 and 1995, we played um, the qualifiers for the World Cup. At that time, it was only between Ghana and Nigeria when CAF was supposed to have only one representation at the then World Cup. And then in, after, I think after the 95 World Cup, um, FIFA thought it wise to increase the number of teams that will be participating in the World Cup. And so through that, Africa got two slots. And when that slot came, it meant that we needed to play more. But then, because FIFA was also um, trying to have a rapidly developing women's football on the continent, um, it's recommended that there should be the African Women's Championships. And so in 1997-98, we played the qualifying campaign for the first African Women's Cup of Nations. It was then called the African Women's um, Championships. And Nigeria hosted it for the first time in Abiyokuta. And I remember eight teams, coincidentally, those eight teams are still the top teams that we have with one or two coming in and out at any given point. Um, to cut a long story short, after two weeks of action, Nigeria and Ghana 
the champions and runners-up of that first competition were the two teams that qualified for the 1999 Women's World Cup that was staged in the USA. And so we went for the World Cup then, and that was Ghana's first World Cup at the senior level. Of course, before the Black Queens went to the World Cup, we knew the under-17 and under-20s had already been participating in the junior competitions. And so um, the Af women's AFCON had come to stay, and that became the, qualif the qualifying grounds or competition for all the Women's World Cup. And then in 2002, we went again to a, comp a qualifying competition on the Women's AFCON, the third edition, and then that's also the Black Queens qualified by finishing second to Nigeria again. And so they qualified for the 2003 Women's World Cup, again hosted in South um, in USA. And then in 2006, um, Ghana and Nigeria went to the final of another Women's AFCON, the, the fifth, I think. Nigeria won, Ghana lost and became runners-up. And the two teams, again, got the opportunity to represent Africa at the 2007 Women's World Cup. But we realized that along the line, the teams were coming up and they were developing and progressing. And so subsequently, um, Ghana hasn't been able to, or the Black Queens have not been able to qualify for any of the World Cups. Um, two, after 2007, we missed out on the 2011, we missed out on the 2015, we missed out on 2019, and we are likely, we, I mean, we've again missed out on the 2023 because we failed to qualify for the Women's AFCON 2022. So on the history of the Black Queens, I think that has been the World Cup journey, but they've done well to be going qualifying for the women's afcon this is the first time the first time that in fact the second time in the history of the competition that ghana would not be participating and i mean it's it's heartbreaking and all that but sometimes the reality is that as you think that you are doing well others are also preparing and growing their brand and developing their skills and all that and so when the opportunity comes in, they grab it. And for us, I mean, for Ghana in particular, the, this year's draw for the qualifications didn't favor us. We found ourselves in the same line, I mean, draw pair as Nigeria, and the Nigerians eliminated us by a goal difference. And so um, you realize that South Africa, for instance, is called for choice when it comes to facilities. They've been consistent with their coach. They've kept their coach there since 2014. Desirelis, I remember she was the player and the captain of the Bayana Bayana when they first played at the 1998 um, championships. And today she is the head coach. They've kept her there since 2014 when they decided that their target was now to veer off, I mean, venture into international competition and win laurels. You saw Equatorial Guinea, they also pumped some money into the competition, women's game. And on the two occasions that they hosted, they were in the final. And in fact, they are the only side that have won the competition apart from Nigeria. And 
we are in the 11th edition, the 20th year. This will be, I think, the 21st year for the competition or the 20, the, yes, 21st year because it started in 1998. And I mean, Equatorial Guinea are the only champions who have been able to lift the, the, the trophy. Nigeria has won all the other ones. The best has been always playing runners-up. I mean, the, as recently as 2008 in Ghana, 18 in Ghana, when we thought that would be the perfect time for the Black Queens to win the trophy for the first time, we watched that competition, that opportunity, and this year we are not representing at all. So for the senior side, that is it. For the junior side, even though the under, four, under 20 started early, it wasn't until 2010 when the FA decided that we had we would participate in that competition. And I remember our first competition was qualifying for the Under-20 Women's World Cup in Germany. And, I mean, they went and they, they did well. Unfortunately, they, it wasn't good enough to see them progress in the competition. And subsequently, the Black Princesses have qualified for every competition, every successive competition, but they haven't been able to go past the group stages. And it is basically because we are always, I mean, it, I mean, there are a multiplicity of factors. I'm sure if we get the opportunity, we will be talking about those. For the maidens, which we see as the development platform or the development foundation for our senior team, they have also been part of the under 70 Women's World Cup. And it is interesting for me to probably say that the idea of having an under 17 Women's World Cup came up when we participated in the FIFA seminar for women's football during the 1999 Women's World Cup. And FIFA always, as part of its legacy, would hold a seminar for all the countries that have women's football actively growing. And so during one of those um, group discussions, I remember I, I said, well, for us to be able to develop like the men were developing their game, it would be important for us to have a, an age competition because at that time there was no age competition. It was only the senior team. So I made an example that, for instance, we have a player like Adjoa Bayo who started playing for the Black Queens at the age of 11, 12 because of her sheer talent. But she was playing with people who were older than her. So she didn't get the stage and platform to shine as much as she should. And um, because if she had played with her peers, probably she would have outclassed them. And so it was important for us to develop and hone those talents and skills and gradually develop them into matured players, just like we have with the men. And I think that suggestion was included in our group report and recommendations. And several years on, the FIFA adopted it and came up with the Under-17 Women's World Cup. And so we have been part, and even before we went to the first Under-17 Women's World Cup, you remember when FIFA was inaugurating its new headquarters in Swiss, they organized a mini competition for under-15s. And the, we were asked to play 
and we presented a team and that team went on to win the competition and they would return. The team was then cap captained by Mercy, Mercy Mouse. And then she would come and captain the under 17 team to the first World Cup. And by their third attempt, they had won bronze. And for me, I think it's, it speaks volumes of the development that we are doing. Subsequently, we have gone to all the under, 20, under 17 Women's World Cup as well. It's a biannual competition, and we've been attending until this year when we lost out to Morocco under very bizarre circumstances. But then the best performance of the Black Maidens, the under-17 side, has been a bronze medal finish. We have always gone past the group stages into the quarterfinals. But since winning the bronze in 2012 in Azerbaijan, we haven't been able to go past that level again. And we are hoping, we were hoping that this year would have changed the narrative. But unfortunately, this year we didn't qualify at all. So in brief, that is the history of women's football at the international level. That is a very deep explanation and detailed breakdown of the journey of women's football, not just in Ghana, but on the African continent. And uh, what for me I appreciate the most is the fact that you guys made a significant contribution to ensure that we have the age group tournament for women. And uh, talking of um, women's football and age group tournament, do you think um, the neglect for proper preparation and development for the age group would account for some of the challenges the black queens um, are facing now and as a result uh, is leading to their uh, part, uh, particip lack of participation at the Mundial for the Women's World Cup? Well, I think as for developments, I would say that at the grassroots, the development is there because uh, we were one of the first sites in, on the continent to play a really structured, a well-structured league. I mean, since 2012, we've been playing the women's league here. Um, even though you would say that it is not comparable to the standards that we see in Europe, especially when you see the likes of the, the Lyons, the um, PSG ladies, the Bayern ladies, I mean, the Arsenals, the... Barcelona ladies and the Real Madrid. I mean, we, we haven't reached that standard yet, but I think that we have made significant progress and development from women's football. Philip, um, you remember, I don't know whether I've ever showed, shared the story with you. I mean, we've moved from those times where parents would literally chase you out of their homes and warn you not to come for their daughters so they would go and play football so now parents calling you and asking you whether you can get a team for their daughters to play in. And this, I mean, this is massive significance because if at a point a parent will tell you, and we have stories replete of those examples where parents would literally be chasing us and will be marking us out at the various playing centers, telling us to leave their daughters alone and all that. And I think that the World Cup, changed a lot of the narrative and the World Cup spoke for itself and then subsequently when parents also realized that their daughters could play at that level and if for nothing at all it gets them occupied, took them off the streets 
took them away from bad company and from trouble and importantly provided them with other opportunities they decided to open up so we have a lot of players that i mean especially the earlier black queens players who went to the previous world cups i mean getting opportunities to go and continue their education particularly in the u.s and some of them have gone on to at certain tertiary education with masters some of them are working on their um, doctorate degrees and all that and at the local level we pressed home the need for us to have the league system because that was the only way that we could develop the game rapidly the only missing link was having a continental competition because at the end of the day when you play the league and you don't get called up into the national team that was the end you only become local champions but this time around because the CAF has introduced the CAF women's champions we all know that the that's one will improve or inure to the benefits of the further development and progress of the competition with regards to infrastructure you are spot on we don't have the infrastructure we don't have it and you cannot develop a game without infrastructure when you compare what we have to what the moroccans the i mean the north african the north and south africans have you realize that west africa in particular we have nothing because in ghana getting a venue to play on it's always a hassle i mean apart from that you name the facilities if you want natural grass you have across Accra, you have Accra and elwak and then maybe um, Liberty, Dansuman, Carl Randolph. But you all know the quality of those pitches. It is not something to write home about. When you go to Kumase, it's only the Pajo Stadium and Babayara Stadium. And then you have to travel to Obuasi to probably go and play at the Lenkle Stadium. When you go to Cape Coast, Cape Coast has only the Cape Coast National Stadium and um, the Robert Mensah Stadium. That also has its own issues. And then when you go to Western Region, it has the Jendu Park and the Esipon Stadium. So you realize, but when you go to the hinterlands, I think that because of the mining communities, they are doing well by developing the pitches for them. So you have some at Anyinase where um, Midyama are playing or you have Karela playing at Anyinase and all that. These are okay, but the point is that we don't have many of them. So when it has to do with competing for the same facilities, it always goes to the advantage of the men. Or they'll ask you to play in the morning or play in the scorching sun, and then they would play in the evening. But if we had our own playing field and all that, I'm sure some of these things would change. And, I mean, as for the facilities, preparation is also key. Because, for instance, if you are going for a tournament, and you are not getting quality competition to prepare because football is all about playing. The more you play, the better you get. But you do not get any proper team from outside to come and play with. And so you are compelled to play, I mean, sometimes in your boots, in your socks, in your school uniforms and all that. You are supposed to place them on your social media handles so that people will follow and understand what is going on. But unfortunately, we do not have those materials. Definitely. In recent times, um, there's been advocacy for equal opportunities for women and for 
the same as the the men the men's football and for example in the u.s they've advocated for equal salary structure so for the women's national team they earn the same as their counterparts in the senior national in the male senior national team is that the same in ghana and many african countries and if that is not the same what are the measures that can be put in place to ensure that the women and equal opportunities as their male counterparts just like it's been advocated in america and in europe well i think that's it's hello madam rosaline are you with us can you hear me yes i can hear you now yes i'm saying that it's not usually easy for us to have that development tandem because we lack the facilities and orientation and you think that for our constitution, we are supposed to have equal access to all sports facilities. But a lot of things are done without considering all of us. And so at the end of the day, we end up playing second fiddle. I mean, time passed, even if you wanted to go and play at the stadium as a curtain raiser, you'd be told that, and because of our religious and bad beliefs and all those things, somebody will tell you that, oh, because you are a female, and you go through your menses when you go to play a game on a pitch that the men are also coming to use you um, desecrate the pitch and it will it's it won't gather well for them and so they will not allow you to play before them so these are some of the challenges but i think that's by and large we need to i mean ben Kofi did well he sat down with otia kenton and they drafted a very comprehensive strategic and development plan for women's football and i think that by and large we followed through it and as time went on we were updating it if we will continue to use that method and make everybody understand that education is key for both sports and the development of the child i'm sure that we will make further progress definitely and uh, speaking of progress um, one thing that is key to progress in sports is youth development. And uh, we are wondering which is more important in the sport. Is it winning or taking part? And uh, this year, uh, I know Ghana has qualified for the Under-20 Women's World Cup in Costa Rica. And also Ghana has qualified for many of the youth tournaments in the past for the men's competition and they've dominated the, uh, in, in the early 90s for the under-17. And then uh, recently in 2009, uh, the Black Satellites won the, Afri- won the uh, African Championship and the World Championship. So do you think at youth, in youth development, winning or taking part is the key? Which, which one will you advocate for? Unfortunately, Philip, I mean, these days, everything that has more than two or three people competing is so competitive that you're, you cannot just say that I am going there to participate, especially if you have a, a, a background or a history like Ghana. It looks like every time Ghana is on, in a competition, the expectation is that because of the abundant skills and talents that the country possesses with regards to players, they are expected to go all the way. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that because skill alone is not enough. You need to, I mean, also develop the talent and ensure that you have a strategy that will see you winning. 
And at least, I mean, having followed some of these other national teams, I can say boldly that they have had a development plan and strategy working for them. For me, um, depending on where you are coming from and what you want to achieve, exposure is also very important because without exposure, you can never build the confidence of your team so that anytime they meet and they are just playing among themselves, the moment they step out and they come into competition with a team from another side or from another country, then you see the timidity coming in, the I'm afraid to play coming in. But if we are conscious and we say that, look, we set targets, I'm sure that just as we have babies grow, you start from a process from being a baby, only lying down, not being able to do anything, to sitting up, to starting to crawl, starting to move around, starting to walk, and then starting, I mean, beginning to run. And I think that with that development of the human being, the various phases, sometimes it is important. You cannot just go to a competition and say that, oh, as for this one, I have come to win, and you disrespect. Sometimes you would be lucky, but it doesn't always happen that way. So you go and build your time and build experience to running the competition and all that. And subsequently, you can win. So for me, depending on the age group, I mean, it could be the focus should be on winning at another time or at another instance. The focus should be development and exposure. Definitely. Thank you so much for that detailed uh, submission. And uh, speaking of preparation and winning, the Black Stars of Ghana have qualified for the World Cup. And uh, many believe that uh, the African World Cup qualification is quite difficult and the given the number of countries uh, in CAF, we have 52 representatives in CAF on the African continent, and um, only uh, four countries qualify for the World Cup. It's until 2010 where we, have, we had five representatives, and it's remained like that until date. Do you think African World Cup qualification is quite difficult, and uh, we deserve more representatives at the Men's World Cup? Yes, it is. It is. It is. If you look at the the qualification line and the structure and the fact that you have a World Cup without Nigeria, I mean, we all. For me, I don't. I not to disrespect South Africa, but I think that if you want to talk about the giants of Africa, South Africa, even though they have won the Afcon, I would not consider them as giants. And so if you have a giant like Nigeria missing out on the teams that have qualified for the World Cup and other key teams that we always see as very strong on the continent missing, you have, you have been worried about it. But I, I think that um, CAF should find a, a way of doing it. I mean, they would also tell you that Europe is also struggling because you look at some of the, the teams and how they are failing to make it and all that. But I always say that having observed the European terrain and even the um, South American terrain, it is always difficult not to see the big wigs showing up. There is always done in such a way that the big wigs will, will at least have a space to qualify. And once they qualify and they are there, sometimes we are assured that oh, with a little bit of hard work and push and alertness, 
they'll be able to go the step further. We've had um, people go in to support clubs, qualifying and all that. But ultimately, when it happens, it's also in your to the benefits of the continent. It enhances. The only worry is that, Philip, you realize that these days we have no patience or no room for um, local stars. Almost for every national team that you get, Apart from maybe the countries that have their football team, I mean, their football not so well developed and exposed, they, do, they may have a balance. But for almost all the other big teams around the world, or especially on the continent, about 70 to 80% of their players are foreign-based. And this is something that we need to look at. It also tells us that much as we are developing the talent, we do not have what it takes to keep them and make them as competitive as what they have in Europe. I mean, with regards to even player development, the technique, the technical aspects, the confidence, the exposure, you don't have those. And so, because you, for instance, let, let's use Ghana. How many of our players get to play at the international scene? They do not get to play because they hardly qualify for even inter-club international competitions. They hardly get the chance to play international friendlies at the club level. And so if you are not called to play for the national team, it means that for, for a greater period of your career, you become a local, a local star. And it is those things that drive them. I mean, if you look at them, it's just like somebody you play with travels. I mean, it's just like, I mean, being in the village. I mean, and let me make that analogy, not to disrespect anybody. But those times when we're growing up, I mean, when you, you go to the village for holidays and they see you come from the big cities, they assume that you are in a class, in a league of your own, the confidence and all that. Um, now, technology has taken those things away because whatever we are exposed to here, once they have access to television and telephone and technology, they are also exposed to it. So that one has been eroded. But you realize that even on one-on-one, -on -one, when you want to interact with them, the confidence is not there. It's the same with our players. Um, the purchasing power is not there. The purchasing power, I mean, all that. The, you, somebody goes and says, okay, I go and earn maybe a thousand or thousand five hundred dollars a month. You convert it to your local currency and you see that the person has already become rich. And that same person has a friend here playing in the local league and the person is not making that much money. So the, the dynamics are there and it's difficult. I mean, you can't fault the clubs. The purchasing power or the paying power is not there because there is no sponsorship. And that is the story. So everybody would want to go out and make it. Even if they don't play in the national team, they want to go out. And these are things that are all impacting on the strength and the, of, of our local competitions. Definitely. And uh, for the first time in the 92-year history of the World Cup, we would have six female referees at the Mundial. And notable among them is referee Salama Mukasanga, of Rwanda uh, representing at the Mundial and uh, earlier this year she was officiated at the African Cup of Nations for the first time in the history of the African Cup of Nations. 
Um, Madam Rosaline, um, what do you make of this of of of, of this uh, milestone in women's football? Well, I think it's historic. It is historic, and I like what um, Peluji Colina said. He said we are not. They were not looking at the gender, or they were not just trying to break barriers and make up the numbers, but they are looking at competence and performance. And for me, I think that football has now moved. We should be moving football from that narrative where you are a woman, you can't do this. You are a woman, you can't do that. It should always be about the, com the competence of that person. For me, competence is everything. Because I, I am, much as I, I am an affirmative person, I believe in affirmation and I mean, feminine feminism and women's empowerment and all that. I always say that don't hand them to us because you think we, oh, we should consider them. Consider us and give us the offer because you think we are competent enough to do it. And personally, I, I have followed Sal, um, Salmes or Mukazanke's, I mean, progress. And I think that she's made herself and woman, women in women in football very proud. I mean, she has, she knows, she has shown that she knows the law. I particularly paid interest, I mean, attention to her. She officiated in the 2018 Women's AFCON in Ghana. And because I was the coordinator for, for the competition, I monitored every bit. And then from there, she went to the World Cup in, um, in France. And I think that I, the 2019 World Cup in France, and I think she also did well. That was when she, I mean, that was just the starting point. But I think the referee coordinators, assessors and coordinators found something in her. She's young, she's intelligent, she's brave, she's competent, she she knows the law, the rules and regulations. And so they they chose her among the few and they have been supporting her. And that is what exposure does. And I was talking to you about exposure. Exposure builds confidence. Exposure builds makes you better. It gives you the needed competences and once those opportunities are there, you have no reason not to excel if that is what you want to do. And for me, I can only be proud of her and wish her well. I'm hoping. I can't wait to see her. I mean, the fact is that the fact that the six women have been invited doesn't mean that they will at all costs be made to handle games. It is good enough that they are there because, you know, next year is also the Women's World Cup. So these are all learning curves for them. But I really, really would love to see her handle a game and we will see how she performs. That, that will speak volumes and will do volumes. They don't need to speak anymore. It is their, their actions and their competences that speaks, I mean, will speak for how far women's football has come. And for me, we can only be happy about it. Definitely. And speaking of how far women's football has come, um, how could how do you think women's football could be made more popular as a spectator sport in Ghana and on the African continent? Well, I I, I think that um, for instance, if you look at the dynamics in African football, even for the great competitions, when home teams are playing, the attendance is different. 
when other teams are playing, we all see it. And I mean, we've seen it at many of the AFCONs. And so we will not belabor the point. What I think should be done is that um, there should be a deliberate effort to get people to go to the stadium. Um, it probably could be because um, people think that look, the local players think that, I mean, local fans think that apart from our team, we don't need to go and show support for those other teams that are playing. And so you realize that some of the things that CAF has done is to ensure that they, I mean, they play double headers at match venues so that any time there will be um, spectators in the stands. The other thing is also that the traveling around, the cost of traveling on the continent is quite huge. So when there are international competitions, you realize that teams from the neighboring countries would rather show up the more instead of those who have to travel long distances. It is only those who have sponsorship that are able to travel because you are looking at your air tickets and your feeding and accommodation for the period that you are here. So if you are not somebody who has prepared well, made money to be able to attend and you don't also have support, that should be a problem. With regards to the women's game, it's, it's the same problem that we are, we are encountering. And we can't blame them. The purchasing power for people is not there. And apart from that, for us, the women, we, are also, we also don't have the traditional clubs. So you realize that apart from Hazakes ladies, and then maybe now Ashtown ladies and Fabulous ladies, um, we don't have the established traditional clubs. It is now that we are developing them. So now that we are also doing things right and showing matches on TV and all that, we are hoping that subsequently people will be interested in going to the pitch to watch the players play instead of being separated by a glass or a, a, a ceiling or anything because you want to follow technology. We also need to structure it in such a way that it doesn't compete with the European competitions. Because anytime it happens, it is the local leagues that suffer. I, we are hoping that collectively we can come together to find a more suitable way of dealing the issue so that it doesn't affect women's football at all. Definitely. All too soon, we are wrapping up uh, uh, with uh, our podcast for today. And uh, I would ask my last question and then I would give my audience the opportunity to ask Madam Rosalind a question of their choice. But, uh, Madam Rosalind, um, in the 92-year history of the World Cup, Africa representatives have never progressed beyond the quarterfinals. The first time we had African country in the quarterfinals of the World Cup was in the 1990s with Cameroon, in 2002 with Senegal, and in 2010, the Black Stars of Ghana. This year, the Black Stars have qualified again. Senegal have returned to the World Cup after participating in the 2018 World Cup alongside Tunisia and, and the rest. Do you think an African country can ever win the World Cup? And the same thing, do you think for the Women's World Cup, an African women's team can also ever get to the quarterfinals or maybe the semifinals of the Women's World Cup to even win it? 
Okay, so let me start with the women. Nigeria have been in the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup before. I think that in 1999, um, they were in the quarterfinals and they were only stopped by the eventual champions, the USA, in, um, in, the, in the quarterfinals. Um, so they've been there before. Um, I think that we, given looking at the gap between the development of the African game and even America and Europe, it will take a while. It will take a while. It will take a while because it is just that we have just started developing our game and now organizing the Champions League. And so we would have players now better exposed. But you realize that in the past, Nigeria were able to do well because their players are better exposed internationally compared to Ghana. So we are hoping that this, now that we have a, a Champions League as well as some opportunities for people to mentor indirectly the girls who are playing, I have no doubt that very soon we will be able to break that barrier. I mean, it's not easy when you want to push and probe into a man's world. And for several years, it's always been the men who play there. So they think that coming out is going to disturb them. So that is that. Is that. With regards to the men's game, um, Philip, you realize that 10 years ago or so, we didn't have many players being exposed to the European leagues. But now look at the number of players who are playing in the European leagues. And they are all playing actively. So if they are, they, they are called back home, they would play. But my worry is that sometimes we need to build, further develop the competencies of the coaches or the mindless who handle the aids. We need to build their competencies. They will have to have the confidence so that when they are competing with the other side, I mean, they don't feel the pinch so much. Let's look at how, I mean, they fared and some of the big wigs that are, are missing. South Africa has all the talents. They may have the talents, but they don't have the, um, how do we call it? The refreshment. I mean, Nigeria have had it. I mean, one challenge after the other. I think it's time for us to. Time passed. It was due to poor preparation. Another time, it is due to unpaid bonuses. Another time, it is due to interference in the selection of coaches and players. And so until we decide to streamline things and organize and do it the way the Europeans do it, we may not be able to do it. But I have confidence in those current African teams that are participating. I think that player for player, we have quality. Um, some of them have been playing together for a very long time. So they are the team is the teams are very cohesive. Some of them, especially Cameroon and I mean, I think they they they, they have Cameroon and Senegal, they do have and so we would want them to develop it. I would love to see others competition. I mean, more than one gun I mean African side go past the group stages into the next stage. Then we will pick it up from there. But one day, you're asking me one day, one day will 
an African side ever win the competition. It is possible, but it will all depend on our planning and the execution of that plan. Definitely. Thank you so much, Madam Rosalind. We've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you, and I'm sure my audience as well. I'll give our audience opportunity to ask a question of their choice. Justin, do you have a question for Madam Rosalind? Okay, and uh, whilst we, once we do not have any question, at this point, we would wrap up with the show. And uh, just before we wrap up, Madam Rosalind, many young people uh, look up to you. And uh, particularly for me, I had the privilege of reading many of your articles in the graphic sports uh, specifically, and also uh, learning from you from a distance. And uh, today I'm privileged to have hosted you on my show to speak with you. And what are your parting words to the many young uh, men and particularly women who look up to you and also look up to make a living from the sports across the various pyramid of the sports? Well, um, thank you for the kind words. I, I think that it is important for us to know that in every chosen field, especially in one that um, you had males dominating before it provided opportunities for women, the moment you are a woman and you want to be in there, you cannot just go there and assume that you'll be pampered. You need to show that you are competent. And that is what I said when I was talking about uh, Mukazanka. It is about competence. It's about knowledge. It is about passion. And I'm excited to see many young people, especially young women, who understand the game. And so they talk with passion and they are working on it. For me, you also need to realize that journalism is a learning curve. You cannot know it all. And thanks to technology now, you are able to, I mean, update your knowledge and skills. We need to prepare well and make sure that we understand the issues. We should veer off controversy, much as people will say that controversy self. I think that people are becoming more discerning. And so when you, you try to veer off controversy, um, nobody would really take you serious subsequently. You, you can't also afford to lose your readers and your audience and your listeners. So it is important for you to be able to stay this long in a, in a profession that also puts the spotlight on the, the newsmakers as much as the reporters. It is always important to preserve your integrity and your relevance. Um, you need to read and research. You cannot be a sports journalist and be lazy and assume that, oh, um, I can tell people anything and get away with it. Because these days, people are listening, people are reading, thanks to smartphones and technology. So don't assume that we still live in the old, in the stone age where you can tell them and they say they see it as sacrosanct. Others have other means of verifying the information that you've given them. So before you go out to write, speak, present a program or anything, you need to prepare very well and build up your research information before you do that. That is the only way you can stay relevant 
That is the only way you can uphold your trust and integrity. And that is the only way you earn the respect of your audience, your readers, and your listeners. Definitely. Thank you so much. Auntie Rosaline, um, for the purposes of my audience, um, uh, uh, pardon me if I'm calling her Auntie Rosaline, because <laughs> in, on the African continent, uh, it's actually a high regard for respect and dignity. And uh, she's someone I've looked up to over the years from a distance. And uh, on this show, she said it before, but in one of her news articles, I read it and I've kept that as a, a walking stick. And it has, it, has kept, it has kept me going across my journey, especially at the international level. She says we should eschew controversy. What is not true, do not say. Speak to the facts in as much as press freedom, press freedom uh, is being advocated for. It is also not a license to, uh, to spew lies and propaganda. And there is one significant tournament coverage that I enjoyed from you the most was the 2015 African Cup of Nations <laughs> coverage in Equatorial Guinea. Just before we leave, you witnessed Ghana replay the Senegal 1992. And before that final, I followed you quietly on Facebook. And then you said Ghana needed to win this final because Senegal, uh, uh, Cote d'Ivoire have already won it in 92. And Ghana needs it more. Now, it's been extended further. We are still yet to break that jinx. The last time Ghana won the African Cup of Nations was in 1982. But we've done well at the World Cup. Do you think Ghana can break that jinx? Following your reportage at the 2015 African Cup of Nations. Yes, we can. I mean, we have the caliber of players. Um, I I just want to say that it's, it's been heartbreaking and torture sometimes sitting through and watching. You can't help it, but sometimes become emotionally attached to the team when you are also, your national team is playing, even though you are supposed to try as much as possible to detach it. And it's, 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 it hurts the most when you have seen them come so close. I mean, 1992, I was just a student journalist and I was watching it in Senegal. And then we've, we've come. I mean, the closest that we had come to winning again was, I think, when we played Egypt in the 2010 competition. And then we went to Equatorial Guinea. And Equatorial Guinea, we had everything going for us. But sometimes I always say that it is that momentary loss, that, that thing. But for me, looking at the crop of players that we have, and um, Philip, I don't know, but that brings us to planning. Planning. You realize that we are not consistent when it comes to maintaining our coaches. And that is one of the things. Yes, we, we, we do not have the... Um, we, we always have to do well to keep the coaches that are the best. Some of them are competent. So when they come in no time, they get the results. But then at the end of the day, we should also realize that sometimes consistency helps. Senegal had their local coach and how long did it take for them to win the AFCON finally? They had had, they had missed it. I mean, the year that the previous competition, they missed it. They didn't sack the, the coach. 
they only gave him the the support and everything and whatever it is that he did because it was a matter of time i think we should have that kind of patience but it looks like in ghana we we've all become coaches we all want to talk about it and that we are very impatient with our coaches and it even reflects in our even in our national women's teams as well the random the frequency with which we change over our coaches also have an impact on on, on the performance of the team because every time a new coach comes it takes a while before they settle in to know the players to build a team for them to go and win competition so we will we will win it i i i have no doubt at all that we will win it when i cannot say but i know that i mean we will win it we will win it we will they will break the jinx i mean the 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 players are hungry they it's it's not easy that for for the last how many years you continue to play for the national team and all you do is to go and come back go and come back i think that's for ghana we are not part of the 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 going to participate whenever we set out we go there to go and win and that is the expectation of the entire nation and that expectation is huge and it places a huge responsibility on the on the shoulders of the those players that are called up to represent the country but i think that eventually they will make good the 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 time definitely thank you so much uh, madam roslin for making time out of your busy schedules to join us for this special episode of the fifa world cup show and we hope this will not be your last but will be your first of many more times of joining us on this episode all too soon our time is up and to my cherished audience, Justin, Charlie, Bloody, and the rest who join us intermittently throughout the episode, thank you so much for making time to join us tonight. As always, keep winning in everything that you find yourself. Never give up regardless of the situation life throws at you. Until our next episode, keep well and it's bye for now.